If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 8. 2 Samuel chapter 8. If you haven't noticed, our culture is filled with the desire for people to be blessed. It is not uncommon for us to hear God bless. It is almost a second nature for many people in a casual conversation. And whether or not they actually contemplate who God is, or what blessing means, or what should be evident in somebody's life to earn or achieve God's blessing, uh, I think very rarely is something that people actually contemplate. This is illustrated in just how we, we, we sneeze. And typically, a person sneezes in society, and our response is, God bless you. My daughter's response is achoo, which is probably a better response because most people probably don't actually contemplate what it means to say God bless you when somebody sneezes. We also talk about God blessing America or at the end of, at the end of a conversation we are prone to say God bless you to somebody. But what I want us to think about is should we be blessed? Should I be blessed? Should you be blessed? And if you should be, why? And I think that our text this morning addresses that concept. What leads to God's blessing? What character traits should be evident in our lives that God would look at and say, here is someone who I desire to pour out my love on and bless in an abundant way? whether it be physically or spiritually. The question that we should be thinking through then is, should we be blessed? I think the, the big idea, if you will, of 2 Samuel chapter 8 through 2 Samuel chapter 10 is the Lord blesses us as we trust him and imitate his character. The Lord blesses us as we trust him and imitate his character. If you would take your Bibles... Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 8. We'll read chapter 8 all the way through chapter 10. And then we will quickly work our way through the theological concepts and seek to draw some applications as we conclude. Chapter 8, verse 1. After this it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David told Mephag Amah, from, and David took Mephag Amah from the hand of the Philistines. Then he defeated Moab, forcing them to the ground. He measured them off with a line. With two lines he measured off those to be put to death, and with one full line those to be kept alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went to recover his territory at the river Euphrates. David took from him 1,000 chariots, even 700 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. When the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadazer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Verse 6, the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Verse 7, and David took the shields of gold that had belonged to the servants of Hadadazer and brought them to Jerusalem also from Betah and from Berathai, cities of Hadadazer. 
David, King David, took a large amount of bronze. When Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadazer, then Toy sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadadazer and defeated him, for Hadadazer had been at war with Toy. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, articles of bronze. King David also dedicated these to the Lord, along with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued, from Syria, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, from Amalek, from the spoil of Hadadazar, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And David made himself a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt. He also put garrisons in Edom, throughout all Edom. He put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Verse 15. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the priests. Sariah was a scribe. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over both the chariots Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief ministers. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant to the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out to the house of Maker, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David. He fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to you your master's son, all that belong to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest, that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded, his servant, so will your servants do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Chapter 10, verse 1. It happened after this that the king of the people of Ammon died, and Hanan, his son, reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent to the land, sent by the hand of his servants to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the people of Ammon, 
And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanan, their lord, Do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out, and to overthrow it? Therefore, Hanan took David's servants, shaved off half their beards, cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks, and sent them away. When they told David, he sent to meet them, because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Wait at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. When the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, the people of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of beth Rehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and from the kings of Makkah, 1,000 men, from Ishtab, 12,000 men. Now when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. Then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate, and the Syrians of Zobah, beth Rehob, Ishtab, and Makkah were by themselves in the field. When Joab saw that the battle line was against him, before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother, that he might set them in battle array against the people of Ammon. Then he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you will help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will help you and come to you. Be of good courage and let us be strong for our people for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. Then the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing. They also fled before Abishai and entered the city. So Joab returned from the people of Ammon and went to Jerusalem. When the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves. Then Hadadazar sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the river, and they came to Helam, and Shokbah, the commander of Hadadazar's army, went before them. When it was told David, he gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan, and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in battle array against David and fought with him. Then the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed 700 charioteers and 14,000 horsemen of the Syrians, and struck Shobach, the commander of their army, who died there. And when all the kings who were, were servants to Hadadazer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon any more. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you are so, so holy and so much greater than us. And that even so, you chose to come and allow yourself to dwell among us. And not only that, you also choose to care for us and bless us and preserve us. We thank you for this. We pray that as we meditate on David's response to your kindness and your continued blessing in his life, that we would understand that you have a desire for us be people who fully trust in you and live in a way that reflects your awesome splendor. We pray that as we do so, that you would bless us and that we would be um, witnesses to you among each other, but also among the world that we live in. In your name we pray. Amen. Blessings come through trust. As the text begins, that's really what you see happening. David defeats and subdues the Philistines. This is truly epic. 
as we worked our way through 1 Samuel, and we worked our way up to this point in 2 Samuel, there's only been one other time where it is said that the Philistines were defeated and subdued. And so this is unique. This is different. This is truly special. And it might lead you to think that David would, you know, look at his success. I mean, David's had some pretty epic success in his past, right? I mean, you look back at the fact that he just got Jerusalem and, you know, everybody in the book of Judges and everybody in the book of Joshua have been trying to get Jerusalem and they failed. David's accomplished that. David has subdued the Philistines in a way that hasn't been done for probably 30 years at least. And now he's sitting there. And my temptation, if I was looking at myself in such a successful way, would be like, I'm pretty great. I've got this. But that's not what you see David do. That's not how David lives as a result of the truth that has happened in his life. What you see is David continues to pursue faithfulness. David continues to pursue trust in God. And as he does that, God blesses him. His success continues as he defeats the Moabites and he defeats and Zobah. And David demonstrates his faith by hamstringing the horses. It's interesting, right? Everybody around them, what do they want? They wanted horses. And they wanted chariots. Why? Because everybody else had horses and chariots. And it's just like if you were to go into battle today, and you've got your AK-47 or your M3 or whatever you got. M4, sorry. I don't know. I'm not a gun guy, you know. Um, and you're going into battle. I mean... If you're going into somebody's house and all they had was a knife and you were a decent ways away from them, you'd pre feel pretty good about that battle, right? But if all you have is some sort of semi-automatic weapon, am I okay with that? <laughs> um, if that's all you had and there was a tank coming at you, you probably wouldn't feel too great about the odds, right? Because that tank's going to blow you apart. And that's the same idea here. The chariots were fast. They had all the cool, newest technology. Everybody wanted them because that was what a successful army was made up of. And yet David conquers these enemies. And what does he do? He makes a vast majority of these horses completely disabled for any military service in the future. Why? Why would he do that? I mean, just thinking of it completely humanly speaking, that was... Stupid, right? I mean, you've just captured like a thousand tanks and you blow up half of them or over half of them. You wouldn't do that. That's what he does. Why? Because Deuteronomy chapter 17 has told him the kings are not supposed to multiply horses. What is he doing? He's looking at what a king is supposed to do. A king is supposed to look to God. Is supposed to trust God to care for him, to provide for him, to preserve him. And what does David do? He trusts God, so he follows in obedience. Even though, humanly speaking, we would all say that was stupid. Right? Because you wouldn't throw away something that valuable and allow them to be useful for, you know, breeding or maybe for 
agricultural work, but they're not, they're not speedy. They're not able to do what you need them to do in battle. It's because David's focus is on God. And as David pursues this obedience, it's interesting. What does the text tell us? God is blessing David's obedience. Look at verse 6. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Why? Because David is living by faith. David is trusting his God to provide and to care for him. And if you and I desire to be people who are blessed by God and cared for by God and preserved as we go through a term turmoil-filled life, we need to be people who are willing to say, even though I don't understand why this is what God commands, even though it doesn't make logical sense to me to pursue obedience in this aspect of my Christian life, I'm going to pursue obedience because that's what God requires of me. And as we do that, we can trust our God to be faithful and to continue to care for us and to preserve us. But David's obedience, David's faithfulness and trust in God isn't just seen in how he deals with the horses. No. No, David's obedience, David's trust in God to care for him and to provide for him is continued to be seen in how he deals with all the wealth that comes as he defeats his enemies. Look at verse 7 and follow it's interesting, verse 7 kind of leaves you hanging. Or sorry, verse 8. And, and from Beta, from Berothai, cities of Hadazar, King Damascus, took a large amount of bronze. You're like, what does he do with the bronze? I mean, is he, is he accumulating wealth? Because kings aren't supposed to do that according to Deuteronomy 17 as well. What's, what's he doing? I mean, is this one of those falters in David's character like we're going to see in 2 Samuel chapter 11? Or we've seen... You know, in previous chapters, like 1 Samuel 27, when he throws his hands up in the air and says, Oh, me, oh, my, I'm going to die by the hands of Saul. I'm going to run to Goliath of Gath's hometown to seek protection instead of trusting God. I mean, is that what we're expecting here? Kind of like raises our senses and we're kind of like sitting on the edge of our seats like, what's going to happen? But as we continue to read through the text, what happens? Look at verse 11. David also, after it talks about all the wealth that he accumulated from the other places and from Joram specifically, Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, articles of silver. King David also, also, in addition, right? In addition to what? I believe it's in addition to the bronze that's been talked about in verse 8. He also dedicated these to the Lord along with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued. You know, it'd be really tempting for me if I was a king and I was responsible to take care of all these people around me and, you know, war was as prevalent as it was back then. I mean, we talk about a lot of war in our country, but it's not nearly as bad today in America. Other parts of the world are really bad, okay? But in America, we're really isolated from violence and war right now. We really are. We are super blessed. But it'd be really easy for me to look at that and go, I'm going to put this in the royal coffers so that when I need extra troops, I can just hire somebody with this. And that's kind of like the, you know, the backfall. You know, if God doesn't come through 
at least we've got this emergency fund in the bank, so if God doesn't do it, we've got this money back here, right? What does David do, though? He gives it to the Lord. Why? Because David's faith is in who his God is. David does not accumulate the gold, but instead gives it to the Lord. God preserves David, and he becomes famous. Look at verse 13. That's where it talks about him becoming famous. And then at the end of verse 14, what does it say again? It doesn't use the word blessed, but that's the idea that's being communicated. God preserves David. Why? Because of his obedience. Because of his faithfulness. God's servants portray faith for the world to see. And so the question that we must ask ourselves is, is my faith being portrayed for the world to see? When people look at your life at work, when people look at your life at home, when people look at your life when you're all by yourself, does it portray who God is? Does it portray your firm confidence that God is who he says he is and that you must live in obedience to that truth? That's the question that we all have to ask ourselves. Is my life portrayed my faith to the world? If your life, is your life portraying your trust in the Lord's word? But the text doesn't end there. Blessings come through emulating God's character as well. Look at verse, uh, verses 15 and following are um, the beginning to this new point, okay? And it, it begins by telling us that David reigned over all Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. What does that mean? What is our God? Who is God? God is just. He's other things in addition, right? But he's just. He deals with us according to what we deserve. Right? Sometimes he allows us to be forgiven. But he's just. Even when he forgives us, that is just, as we'll see tonight. And so David is emulating God's character. And how exactly is David going to emulate the justice of God? He's going to emulate the justice of God by demonstrating loving covenant kindness. And so you'll notice as we work our way through these next few verses, that that's going to be a highlighted word. It's going to be repeated over and over again. We haven't seen that word up to this point. In all of chapter 8, you don't see the word kindness. Why? Because he's focused on faith and trust that leads to God's blessing. In chapter 8, verse 15, he begins that transition. In chapters 9 and 10, he's highlighting the fact that you and I must emulate God's character. Not limited only to the loving, kindness, faithfulness of God, but that's what he's using to illustrate. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is my character emulating the character of God. When people look at my life, do the character traits that come out of my heart and my actions, that come out of my words as I speak, the emotions, the passions, the that are in my heart that may not be said, 
do my emotions and my passions portray the character of God? And as David's character portrays the character of God, what happens in the text is he is blessed. He's going to begin and he's going to show kindness to one of Saul's sons. And you're going to see this word highlighted because this is the key idea in these chapters. If you want to be blessed, you must emulate God's character. David emulates God's character through his justice to the people. David emulates God's kindness and his care for Mephibosheth. Look at verse 1. What does he want to do? He wants to emulate God. And it becomes even more clear as we look at verse 3. David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 20, what's happening there? In 1 Samuel 20, David is in the depths of despair. He is discouraged. He is on the run. And Jonathan comes, and Jonathan comes and encourages David and says, God is faithful. God's made you a promise, David. He made that promise in chapter 16. God's going to see it through. And my dad's not going to come in between that promise because that promise is based on God's character. God is faithful. He will be true to his word. And when he does, I'm going to be right there with you. Only show kindness to my family. And David now is sitting in chapter 8. He is successful beyond his wildest imaginations. And he looks back and he says, this success is not because of me. The success, the position I'm in is because of God's covenant kindness. I want to emulate that in my life. And so he says, who can I show kindness to? Who's left in Saul's family? And Ziba comes and says, you know, there's, there's Mephibosheth. And so he comes and when Ziba comes in verse 3, what is his question? It really points us to the fact that he wants to emulate God. He wants to imitate. He wants to be a picture, so to speak, of God's loving kindness for the world to see. Look at verse 3. Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of who? God. He's imitating God. And as he does this, in Israel, and as he does this with the nations around him, what happens? God is going to bless David. David forcefully reassures Mephibosheth of his continued covenant kindness. I mean, you've got to imagine, I mean, Mephibosheth um, is not really the type of person that most kings would probably want to show kindness to, right? Number one, there's nothing in him that makes him really desirable. Number two, he's a potential threat to David. Not a huge threat because he's lame, but he's a potential threat. And so Mephibosheth comes before David and David asks him, are you Mephibosheth? And he says, here's your servant. And David says, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness. What kindness? The kindness of God. He's emulating God's care for him in his relationship with Mephibosheth. And as he works his way through, he tells Ziba, this is what you're going to do. You're going to take care of all of Mephibosheth's new property. And all the produce is actually Mephibosheth's. But you know what? Mephibosheth isn't even going to need all that. Because Mephibosheth is going to stay at my dining room. And he's going to eat the best food that I eat. 
that is loving kindness. And he's emulating God's character that he's seen pan out from his conversation with Jonathan, who was a great man of faith, who knew that God was a kind and gracious God who kept his promises. The text moves on. And it's going to illustrate David's kindness, not only in Israel, but it's going to illustrate his kindness as he shows his kindness to the nations around him. What happens is the king of Ammon dies, and Hanan, his son, reigned in his place. And, and David and Ammon must have had some sort of treaty, because this covenant word, this kindness word, is actually a word that is used to refer to covenant faithfulness. It's God's covenant faithfulness. It's the word that is used predominantly to refer to the character of God. Okay? There's a covenant. And so David hears that the dad has died. He sends word, and he says, I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. There is this treaty between them, most likely, and he says, I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to continue to honor the treaty. I'm going to be kind. I'm in a position of greater power. I could take you over if I wanted. But this is the land that God has given me, and as long as we remain friendly and you don't attack me and mess with my stuff, I won't mess with your stuff. And Hannon hears about this, and his counselors hear about this, and they're like, no, nah, he's coming to spy on us. And so what do they do? They shame the messengers who represent King David. They shave off their beards, a huge sign of disrespect. They cut off their clothes so that they are exposed and that they are naked. And God blesses David with a great military victory as he responds to this. He tells the men, stay in Jericho. Wait there until your beards return and then return to us. And the people of Ammon see that uh, David's not too pleased with this turn of events. And so it's probably best if we pursue a uh, aggressive maneuver and begin to acquire extra troops from surrounding allies until they bring in all these extra troops. David hears about it. He's like, well, if there's going to be battle, let's have it over there and not in our homeland. So he sends Joab there. And Joab looks at the situation and Joab pretty quickly goes, this battle is not a battle that I would choose to fight, right? He looks and he sees that the whole city of Ammon sat inside Ammon and the Syrian forces are around them. Okay? That's, that's what you call a bad position to be in in a military maneuver, right? You don't really want to be surrounded by your enemies on all your sides. And so Joab tells his brother, this is what we're going to do. We're going to split up and if you need help, I'll come help you. And he trusts God. And what does God do? God provides them a great victory. Syria retreats. Ammon retreats. Syria decides to form once again and come and fight. And David goes out with his men. They attack Syria. They win. Why? David is emulating God's character. God is a covenant faithful God who demonstrates his kindness to us. David emulates that. And in the midst of what should have been a battle that went drastically different, God provides David the victory. God blesses David. Why? Because he trusts him. God preserves him. Because he demonstrates God's character, God provides him the victory. 
And so how do you and I live in light of this? God blesses us as we emulate his character. And so how well do we emulate God's character? God desires to bless his children. And as we meditate on this truth about who our God is, it should stir our hearts to praise and worship. We serve a great God. One who cares for us, one who desires to enter into a relationship with us, and one who desires to bless us in that relationship. God, the transcendent one, who is so much more holy and distinctly other than us, chooses to enter into a relationship with you and I and to bless us. Not because of anything that I could possibly do, but because he provided the means by sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the earth, who lived a perfect, sinless life, and then died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And if you and I want to be people who are ultimately blessed, the only means to achieve that blessing is by placing our faith in Jesus Christ's finished work and receiving the forgiveness of sins that we so desperately need. And when we receive that blessing, it'll make all the physical aspects of this life dim in comparison. And your heart will be drawn to worship because God desires to bless you and he has blessed you with forgiveness and a relationship with him. But in addition... Then God blesses those who trust him. And so as we think about that truth, the question that you and I must ask then is, how well do I trust God? How is that demonstrated in my life? Can you say that you trust God and never read your Bible? Can you say that you trust God and read your Bible in a haphazard way that fails to meditate on the truths that Scripture proclaims? Can you say that you trust God and yet go through a trial or a difficult time in your life and fail to pray? Can you say that you trust God and when everything is going okay, not go to Him in thanksgiving, knowing that, trusting that? The circumstances in your life are what they are because He has made them such. Our prayer life should remain constant whether things are good or bad because whether we're praying for him to set something differently or praising him for the way that things are, both of them demonstrate the fact that we trust our God. How does your life demonstrate trust? Does your life demonstrate trust? Does my life demonstrate trust? Through our obedience to his word. God blesses those who emulate his marvelous character. Think about it. God is holy. God is just. God is merciful. God is present. How has your life demonstrated these character traits this past week? How have you and I pursued holiness before God? How have you and I pursued to be present with others. One of the most encouraging 
truths about scripture is that Christ, God is present with us as we go through trials. How have you and I sought to be emulating God's character by being present with someone who is going through a trial, a difficult time? You might not know about some of these difficult times. But we're called to be present whether or not we know about the difficult times or not. And that requires that we are actually with people, that we have them over to our homes, that we meet with them outside of, you know, 20 minutes before a service and, you know, 30 minutes an hour after the service. How are we doing it, emulating the character of God? How have we shown kindness this week? As you and I pursue emulating God's character, he blesses. Maybe not spirit physically, but he does bless us spiritually. Let's go to the Lord in order of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you are a God who has come to live among your fallen creation. And that you indeed not only live among us, but that you seek to bless us, not only through your son's death, burial, and resurrection, but also through the many spiritual blessings that we receive. We pray that we would be people who should be blessed, because we are people who do trust you fully, and we are people who emulate you fully. In your name we pray. Amen.